Welcome to Behind the Warrior, a podcast presented by the EOD Warrior Foundation. This series will focus on resources, interviews, and topics impacting EOD warriors, their families, and the military community at large. Good morning, Sherry. How are you? I'm doing well, Mike. How's it going today? It's going fantastic. I know that by the time this uh, recording is put out there uh, for our listeners, it will be probably past Christmas and New Year's, but uh, uh, for all of you that are listening to it after Christmas and New Year's, which is coming up soon, I just hope that you all had a wonderful, happy, safe Christmas and New Year's. Yeah, absolutely, and looking forward to a brighter 2021 for sure. Absolutely. Kind of normal, right? I want normal. Yeah, normal sounds great. (laughs) Okay. All right. Well, welcome everybody to Behind the Warrior podcast. And today, uh, I think we're bringing you another really fantastic podcast because we're going to be talking to Audrey Bogelsdyke, and she is the Vice President of Survivor Services to the Tragedy Assistance Program for Survivors, and as we know them as, as TAPS. And she herself is also a Gold Star Widow. Audrey, welcome to Behind the Warrior podcast. Thank you so much, Mike and Sherry. It's lovely to join you both today. Uh, Likewise. We are really happy to have you and uh, can't wait to hear you share your experiences and and your knowledge of this fantastic program that serves uh, so many individuals and families who are are suffering loss of a loved one. So, Audrey, one of the things that we uh, talked about, I think, during our pre-call that you shared with us is that you yourself are a Gold Star Widow. Could you... Uh, tell the listening audience uh, what constitutes becoming a Gold Star Widow and as much as you'd like to share, uh, what what about your experience? What happened uh, with you? Sure. You know, the, the term Gold Star um, nowadays is kind of loaded. Um, a Gold Star Widow technically is a, is a person who has lost their husband um, in active service. And there there's both the Gold Star Widow designation and the Next of Kin designation. So my husband, Jason... Uh, he was lost at sea from his destroyer on March 5th, 1997, uh, but he wasn't in um, in an area where there was an active war going on. And so I received the gold star designated a pin, um, and the other pin is for those who have a loved one, um, a husband, you know, or a father, et cetera, who died in combat. Mm-hmm. And now, uh, we were very sorry would, for your loss all those years ago. Uh, thank you so much. It's... Um, you know, it was it was the beginning of what's been an incredible journey, and um, and and completely altered the trajectory of my life. I was I was active duty at the time as well in in the Navy, which is where I met my husband, and was planning to be a lifer. I I thought for sure that I was gonna I was gonna go on to to spend, you know, twenty or thirty years in the Navy, and and I loved it, and then my husband died. And it, it just, it altered my, my trajectory because I wanted to understand what it was that happened to me Mm -hmm. because it so completely changed my makeup, changed my personality. Um, and I needed to know why. And so it it put me on a path to try to understand the psychology behind grief, you know, death, dying and bereavement became very important for me to understand. Uh, and so as, as much as it was difficult to, to leave service, I, I took off on that path to try to understand what had happened to me 
and by extension, to use the loss of my husband to try to help other people in the future, um, because I could understand it on, on such an intimate level. And, and that's really what TAPS is all about. It's it's taking that understanding that you have from your own personal experience and using that as, um, as a catalyst for conversation and hope building and relationship building with others who are coming behind you and experiencing that loss as well. Uh, thank you for, for sharing your story and also thank you for your service to TAPS because I, I can only imagine the benefit of the person on the other end who is suffering loss being able to connect with someone such as yourself who's, who's experienced the same thing. I think that uh, means so much to them, so thank you. Of course, you know, and it is profound. Um, and I, I have to say, meeting Bonnie Carroll, who is the founder of TAPS, um, was was quite a, a, a boost to my support system. You know, it, it kind of breaks down after you've had a loss. And uh, the third day after Jason had disappeared from the ship and they, they had called off the search for him, my casualty officer had given me a, a folder of information and it happened to have a, um, a brochure of, of TAPS information. And in a moment of, of clarity where I was able to just kind of stop crying and just breathe for a minute, I looked over and I saw that sitting on my desk and I picked up and make the, made that phone call and um, spoke with Bonnie. And there was something incredibly soothing to know that the person on the other end of the line was someone I did. I didn't even have to go into all the details to, and she didn't say, I understand just by virtue of hearing a little bit of her story helped me to know that she understood. And then I felt like I felt like I was in a safe place. And that was such a great foundation to start from, to be able to begin to heal. And and fr- frankly, to see another person who had been doing it for, for years and they were kind of the proof in the pudding. I mean, if she could do it, I could do it. And seeing other people uh, taking those steps and healing kind of gives you hope that you can do the same thing. Well, it certainly um, speaks to, speaks highly of of the organization um, Audrey, for for you to have that resource back in 1997 and it's still going strong today, I, I think is really, really great. And um, when you first received the news, I know you said, you know, you spent a lot of time trying to process what, what actually happened. And I think that's incredibly, um, I mean, it's very normal um, in these circumstances. And maybe Bonnie gave you a little bit of normalization in that with your conversation with her, or just having that compassionate person on the other end of the phone, just listen. So I, I think that's great. Um did you did you ever believe that you were going to be capable of acknowledging your grief and really understanding that it looks different for each person? You know what a what a great question. I you know when you're in the throes of it, you're all you're feeling is just the the agony of it, um, and it felt it felt hopeless. It, it felt like a permanent condition that was never going to change, and. And that hopelessness, um, it can just suck the wind out of a person's sails. And, you know, being able to hear someone, you know, like like Bonnie, um, and this, this replays across taps and around the world, but hearing someone else, um, when I share my experience, say, oh my gosh, me too. Mm-hmm. That connection, that, that instant someone validating your experience 
Mm-hmm. is so incredibly helpful. Uh, you know, I, I felt um, I felt a little bit like I was going crazy. Um, and and it was it was so nice to be able to have another person say, you're not going crazy. Uh, this is what grief looks like. Um, but you know it because it, it because it felt like a, a permanent condition, um, you know, it was hard to wrap my brain around how I could do that day in and day out. Um, am I going to be able to live in this way for an extended period of time? And, you know, and I really struggled. I mean, I, I, I could share stories of, of the challenge, especially especially in the first several months um, where it was just so heavy. Um, but, you know, having a person there and not just on the phone, Bonnie and I got together in person as well. And um, really, she she saved me. Mm-hmm. That's yeah, incredible. That hope saved me. Yeah. Well, can you talk a little bit about your expectations of yourself, you know, and kind of like what others uh, felt would is like an adequate time for you to grieve and and maybe move past losing your husband. Um, can sure. you share anything about that and how that felt? Yeah, you know, there's a, there's a lot of um, we we kind of joke and say that people should on you a lot. But, you know, you should do this, you should do that. Um, there's not a there's not a manual. I mean, there are plenty of self-help books out there, and I got my hands on them. I had people share them with me. Uh, some of them had a helpful, most of them had helpful tidbits when my brain could think clear enough to, to process information, which was very difficult in the, in the early weeks and months. But, you know, the expectation that other people have and, and what we as a society have come to expect in terms of the length of time a person should grieve. Um, and I and I really take exception with the word should, mm-hmm. because it's such a unique uh, personal experience that has so many factors to it. You know what were what was the what was the status of the relationship going in? Were we were we struggling? I mean, I'll I'll be transparent and tell you my last conversation with my husband was an argument, mm-hmm. and you know we were we were newlyweds and we were both being selfish, and um, and we ended the conversation. And it wasn't in a good way. Mm-hmm. And and I agonized over that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but what was the status of that relationship going into the loss? What was the length of the relationship? The history with the person? You know what what was um, what was my mental health uh, going into that? So there are just so many factors that can impact um, how a person grieves and the trajectory of their grief. Um, you know, spiritual factors as well. Do you have a faith that you lean on? Um, just such a variety, and so uh, we have to we have to recognize that there's not a manual, and we're kind of writing our own manual based on all of those special factors as we go, and so extending a lot of grace to ourselves over how we do this, um, and and not letting other people put upon us their expectations, mm-hmm. because grief is not something you get over; it is something you integrate. Mm-hmm. Just like you, you could you could tell me right now um, a story from your childhood that was particularly powerful, maybe traumatic, and it's as vivid to you today as it was when you were, you know, a little kid. Um, that's because the powerful emotion of that memory encoded it, that, that, that experience encoded it into your memory in, in, in a more permanent way. That's not something that you'll ever forget. Uh, you maybe you learn some lessons through it that you incorporated into your life. And grief really is the same way. 
You will just learn a variety of lessons through it. You'll integrate it. Um, you'll revisit it at times, just like you revisit other memories. Maybe you look at that scar on your leg where you had a bicycle accident as a kid and, and you're reminded, oh, that's right. Oh, gosh, I remember how much that hurt. Grief is like that over time as well. Mm-hmm. So you know, I think it's important um, to let it be our own process and to take with a grain of salt the the helpful cliches that people you know try to use to to help you move in your grief to move to the next place uh, because you know the reality is that you'll move in your own time and uh, those cliches aren't necessarily helpful but are ways that people are trying to interact with you um, in the best way that they know how and maybe it just kind of falls flat. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's it's your own journey. Mm-hmm. You know, you have to own it as your own journey. Right. Very individualized for sure. Um, well, I know that you spoke about, you know, your connection with, with Bonnie and TAPS. What other resources did you have access to at that time? You know, TAPS was, was fairly new at that time. Uh, it was established in 1994. And in 1997, it was um, it was still primarily Bonnie uh, mm-hmm. taking the calls and supporting people and networking and connecting uh, across the services and and really trying to um, to let people know this is important for us to have. Uh, and so it was still building at that time. Uh, what it looked like in 1997 um, was you know a really strong peer support network. And uh, a 24-7 helpline that was available. Anybody could call it. Um, And that, you know, led to the expansion of things like our casework department as we began to work out issues uh, with benefits that people were having, myself included. Um, Education assistance, you know, all all the things that happen after the death that a person might need support around. We began to build these core services. Um, even in 1994, Bonnie had identified what the gaps were in services, but uh, these these began to build even more. And so, you know, I was getting help with casework through through Bonnie and her network, and and I was getting connected with other widows. And I did call the helpline and get a hold of Bonnie. And um, you know, at that time, we were even connecting people with counseling. Um, you know, so so many resources that that are available, and we've continued continue to expand beyond that. Uh, we still maintain our four core services, um, primarily the National uh, Military Survivor Helpline that's 24-7. Uh, that's still that peer mentor, that national peer-based emotional support network of connecting people of similar losses and relationships. That's still very much uh, then and now. Um, you know, our casework team is still incredibly active and our community-based care has, ex- has expanded uh, to include dozens of care groups of our own across the country, as well as connecting people with local community supports, um, other organizations in their local area who can provide support and, and bereavement support as well. So that all has expanded also to include um, event-based programming and then uh, you know, a broad variety of other things, our Institute for Hope and Healing um, so we're we're just continually expanding as we come into identifying needs of our military survivor population so that we can address those needs the best best way we can. There are a lot of fantastic services, Audrey, for sure. And I'm I'm hoping our listeners will grab on to um the information that you just shared with us. Um and in addition to that, I just wanted to ask also in the initial stages um, 
of your grief. I think in some instances, you know, you believe that um, loved ones and family members and the people that you're closest to are going to be right there with you going through this journey of of grief with you and and being there to support you. Um, You shared a story with us on the pre-call that I thought was very interesting because it was someone who came to you and supported you that was sort of an unexpected um, unexpected friend, if you will, who really really helped guide you through uh, some of the tough times that you were experiencing. Um, Do you mind to share that or if you're comfortable sharing that? Um, No, not at all. Interesting. Sure. And, and, I'll, and I'll just say, you know, I, I think it's important for us to be transparent and authentic. Um, there's a lot about my experience that is, that's painful to hear, but that's true of all of our losses. Um, and I'm and I'm willing to go there because I think it benefits people to be able to uh, have permission to say things out loud. So, I haven't said that. You know, it wasn't that the people in my life uh, who loved me. You know, my mom, my sister, um, my my brother, my dad, all these all these people. It, it wasn't that they didn't love me enough to be there. Um, sometimes it was because I I couldn't look at them and see the pain in their face that they were feeling when they saw me hurt, and they couldn't do anything about it to take mm-hmm. it away. And so they did not necessarily limit themselves and their access to me to support me. I actually pushed them away because I I didn't feel comfortable burdening them. And that's what we see a lot. Now, that certainly doesn't mean that, that people don't withdraw from you because it's just, you know, it's just too heavy and, and they just don't want to go there with you or they don't know how to go there with you. Having said that, you know, for me, um, I was I was stationed in uh, in Maine at a very small uh, NSGA and Naval Security Group activity, and we only had maybe 350 people, uh, civilian and active duty alike. And um, people withdrew from me. They just they didn't know what to say, and they kind of ran the other direction. And the one person who very surprisingly was there for me was my senior chief, and he was a person who. Uh, you know, I was afraid of. I mean, I was uh, I was an E four, and um, here was this senior chief who I I was very intimidated by. Um, I mean, everybody called him senior, and he was kind of a crusty crusty guy, and um, he didn't talk to us a whole lot, um, and he was kind of I thought he was kind of gruff, but it turns out, you know, five days after my loss, when I was walking back into my building and and getting back to work. I was really walking in in a, in a state of shock still um, and was quite numb. But I walked in the door and he walked up to me and he put his arm around my shoulder and he and he and my, one of my coworkers who had driven me to work, she and I, we all walked down the hall together and um, and he, he said, you know, I know you're going to check in with uh, with your division, but when you're when you're done, you know, come and, come and see me. And so I sat down with him and, and our division officer and over time, you know, he wound up being the person who sat with me when I was opening all of the boxes that I had received back from the command with my husband's belongings. And, and he sat there and was willing to be in that space as I cried over every little, you know, gum wrapper that I pulled out of the box or the belt that I pulled out of the Every item was something to cry over. And he, and he took the time and was patient and spent three hours sitting with me as I unpackaged all of that. Um, and it turns out the reason he was able to do that was because 
when he was uh, 13, he lost his mother and his brother in an auto accident. And he had never really had an opportunity to grieve that either. And so I was also a person for him that I was in the throes of it and, and I could hold that space for him. So it really became very reciprocal in terms of the support that we were giving to be able to say the things out loud related to our story that needed to be said. And and I very frequently find that we stuff it. You know, we we mm-hmm. maybe we're around people who they think that we're not supposed to say that person's name any longer because that means that we're not moving on. And if you could see my finger quotes, moving on. Um, <laughs> saying their saying their name it doesn't mean we're not moving on. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it, I mean, we have to say their name. It's just because they die doesn't mean that it's no longer a part of our journey. So mm-hmm. he was willing to sit there and be that person for me and I for him. And I, I think that's where I really first... Um, truly began to understand that um, even aside from Bonnie, because when we first met, I was still very much in shock, but to truly understand that reciprocal nature and that organic nature of making a connection with a person who gets it, um, because that's where that's where you can begin to you can begin to heal, mm-hmm. because then you build a network of people. It's not just you grieving. It's you and all the people around you who are also willing to be in that space with you. Right. And then you give that to each other. Well, I I believe in the midst of tragedy, he gave you a gift that day for sure. And um, absolutely, thank you for sharing that. Sure. Um, so, Audrey, how did you become involved in TAPS? And if I recall, I think you actually were very eager to become involved initially, and then had a change of heart, and and then came back at a later time to become involved, more involved with TAPS. Um, right. Can you share that, that journey with us, please? Sure. Now, I, I came to TAPS, um, I came on to staff with TAPS in 2002. Um, and so I was about five years, uh, about five years after my loss. And at that time I had, um, I had a tremendous amount of passion, obviously to, to take this experience that I had had and to, to make it, useful and and to have this purpose around it um and that never changed that never wavered i always wanted to even when i left taps the first time i always wanted to be that person who was comfortable to sit in the discomfort with a person but for me it, it became a matter of i wasn't quite healed enough at that point and you know, all of the losses, uh, 2002, 2003, we were in Iraq at the time. All the losses at that time that that were coming to us were combat-related, um, and everyone was traumatic. And, um, and you know, I, I don't want to slime listeners with, with any of those details, so I won't, but every mm-hmm. loss was traumatic. Mm-hmm. And I found myself um, feeling a feeling the pain of other people's losses in a way that was more personal. And, and I began to realize that I, I needed to take some more time uh, for me to heal so that I could so that I could honor their journey uh, and now without it without absorbing it as my own and, and now I guess I'll say that when I'm hearing a person's details that they need to purge and it's so important to have a safe place to do that I I can hold that and and I can visualize holding that in my hand like an like you would hold an injured bird, you know, just so tenderly holding that information and and being with that person. 
and um, and do that without absorbing it. And so, you know, when I did come back to TAPS in 2015, I did it because I had, you know, I had I had lived a lot more, I had healed a lot more, I had gone to graduate school and gained more tools, um, and I came back feeling more prepared to to be in that helper role for people without it hurting me mm-hmm. in the long run. Mm-hmm. Thank you for sharing that. I think it's so important that our listeners hear this piece of your story uh, in addition to everything else that you're sharing with us. But I think many times <clears throat> when people suffer a loss and it is such a, you know, um, they have a just a deep longing to want to give back giving yourself space to process and giving yourself space to grieve and also just be a person um, is, right. is so, so important. So I thought that piece of information is pretty vital to our listeners out there who um, absolutely want to give back, but also in a timely way where it feels good to you and you aren't taking on someone else's grief necessarily it's an understanding but you're not absorbing it so right um, you know back then and and i think this is a relevant point to make it it really is about balance Mm -hmm. and i and at that time i i wasn't achieving that balance and i think it's something that we all are continually striving for Mm -hmm. but you know if you are if you're a facilitative griever you know the kind of person who wants to move your hands and get busy doing right then maybe you rush quickly to do, and and that is that is what you identify as your healing. Doing for others mm-hmm. is doing for me, um, and yet at some point we have to have some balance and make sure that we're not, you know, pouring ourselves out so much that we're emptying our vessel and and we're not filling ourselves back up. And and I, and I've used this analogy with people before. There's this um, Japanese uh, art form, pottery art form called kintsugi and it's where they they take a perfectly good vase, for example, and they'll break it and then piece it back together with uh, with precious uh, precious metal like gold. And the, the the pieced together with gold version then becomes more valuable than the piece before they even broke it. And really, that's like that's like us. You know, any any person who's experienced a trauma in their lives, um, including the loss of a military person, we are like that vase that's been broken. And if you if you piece it back together and you don't do it with care, then maybe you still have cracks in your vessel. And maybe you're, you know, because you haven't taken that time, you can't really hold the water to be able to pour into somebody else's glass. And so, you know, you're busy leaking out of your vessel while you're also trying to help somebody else. So, you know, we have to take the time to be able to piece it back together. Um, and then we have to be careful not to pour it out too fast. So there's nothing wrong with with helping other people. In fact, it's a, it's a tremendously important part of the journey. But if you only focus on helping other people, and you don't give space for yourself to sit with your own grief and do that work and think through those things and do that healing, um, then you can you can just burn yourself out helping others. Um, and, and sometimes people rush to help others as a way of avoiding their grief actively. So um, so really, it's just, you've, you've got to have that balance. And so having the self-care while you're also doing the other care, incredibly important. Absolutely. Thank you so much for sharing that, Audrey. 
Sure. Audrey, in uh, sharing your story and talking about your journey to where you are today and also just some of the things which I think the listeners can take away from, especially those who are dealing with grief, I just want to take a quick detour. I've been thinking about this while you've been talking, and uh, you mentioned earlier about uh, the helpful cliches that friends and other family members would say to you or someone who is going through a loss um, without you know going into long uh, discussion about it, but just very quickly, is there is there some tips that you um, have learned throughout your journey and that maybe you have at TAPS that you would say are helpful to a friend, a family member, a coworker, colleague who is who is trying to help um, someone they care about who's going through this loss? Is there anything for uh, those listeners out there uh, what could they do to help someone who who's experiencing a loss that they care about very much? Absolutely. I am so glad you asked this question. I really, you know, Dr. Alan Wolfelt has been involved with TAPS from its inception and a brilliant psychologist and uh, and and well known as the the author of the companioning philosophy. And really, that's the foundation of, of what TAPS is all about. It's it's 11 tenets of um, how to be a companion to someone. And again, it's not just for grief. I mean, it's this is relevant for life. But, you know, we, we as helpers, um, whether you're helping, you know, someone that you've, that who's a member of your family or someone, you know, a friend or someone, a coworker or someone you just met, if you see someone hurting, what is our responsibility? And, and I think that we very frequently take on more responsibility than what we're supposed to. Um, their grief journey is their grief journey. You don't need to you don't need to guide or direct it. You just need to bear witness to it. And I remember talking to a mom one day, and and she said, you know, the hardest the hardest thing about losing my son is that I've, I've lost the the person who bears witness to my life, who knows all my stories, et cetera. So. You know, the, the one tenant of Dr. Wolfelt's that I most resonate with is that, you know, a companion is responsible for going to the wilderness of the soul with another human being, but not responsible for helping them find their way out. And so, you know, if I am busy trying to guide and direct that person's struggle, then they're not finding the answers for themselves. So I think that, you know, people who are trying to help really just need to to back up and, and ask themselves, am I am, am I trying to change that person's journey? Am I trying to make them feel better? Um, if I'm trying too hard to make a person feel better, then maybe maybe it's my own discomfort. I'm I'm trying to make them smile when they're crying. Maybe I'm handing them a tissue and that's an indication that they need to wipe their tears and, and suck it up and, and soldier on. Just sitting in the sacred silence is is something that's so difficult to do. But if we can just be excellent listeners and be willing to to be and sit in that painful space no matter no matter what comes of it, and don't be afraid of it, just lean into it and let it be what it is. Um, people will find their own way. And you know, so the eleven tenets, I would I would point anyone to Dr. Wolfelt's companioning philosophy. He has a fantastic website. He runs the Center for Loss and Life Transition in, in Colorado and, and Arizona. Um, and, and that would be the foundation that I would give anyone. 
it really helps to take the pressure off of you for what it is that you're supposed to do as a companion because it's less about the doing than it is about just being present for a person. Uh, thank you for sharing that, and uh, we will make sure to have that uh, resource listed on, on our podcast for this podcast. Uh, going back to TAPS, could you um, talk about your role as the vice president of survivor services at TAPS? What What do you do as the vice president? Sure. Well, the, the survivor services is the department in TAPS that is responsible for all of the outreach and the, the programming. And so the, the 24-7 helpline that people call into, the peer mentor program, all of the counseling and community-based care programs, uh, those all fall within my department. So if it, if it involves survivor outreach, connecting people to people um, and providing those support services, that, that all falls, you know, to, in my area of responsibility. Um, and there are other areas as well, you know, that, that we focus on uh, suicide postvention and casework and, and others. So nice. And uh, the other thing is, I don't know if we asked this at the very beginning, but it's probably very important to mention who do you serve uh, in TAPS? Who is eligible for TAPS services? We know it's uh, mostly for military, but could you kind of break that out uh, uh, as far as the, you know, errors of service, active duty, retired veterans? Uh, Who do you serve? Sure. You know, I, I'll keep this very, very simple because there are there are so many amazing veteran service organizations out there, and they have uh, they have limited mission uh, statement because they they focus on just one population or one cause of death or active duty, etc. Uh, for TAPS, we essentially are supporting anyone who has a military connection and has had a loss of that loved one. So, if you are um, active duty veteran, retiree, um, and, and, and you pass, your family, your friends, your loved ones, anyone who is impacted by that loss can reach out to us for support. Um, likewise, if you are a member of the military and you've lost your spouse or a child and you need support because you're grieving, then we want to support that as well. Um, you know, we also have a tremendous number of, of folks who come to us and, and are volunteers. They're military mentors supporting our children. And we find that, you know, working with our, our folks who are military mentors very frequently will stir up uh, needs that they have related to grief uh, about the loss of battle buddies, et cetera. So we're there for them as well. And so we try to provide uh, the very best wraparound care that we can. So, so if you have a military, if you have that military connection and you and you've had a loss, um, we invite you to to come and and reach out to us. Wow, that is that is great. And uh, so just for instance, say if you had a, a niece who was close to her uncle, or uncle was a military veteran, and uh, he passed away, and she felt his loss uh, very profoundly, even though she never served herself or her family. Or immediate family didn't serve in the military, you would still help that person. Absolutely, and, and you know we're we're networked with such a broad variety of other organizations and individuals across the country. Um, if anyone who's had a loss and, and is struggling with with that trauma um, reaches out to us, even if it turns out that maybe we're connected with another organization that might actually address their presenting need. Um, in a more powerful way, we'll make that warm handoff to them. But but we still will be here, and we are uh, you know 
prepared to connect and, and find whatever resources are necessary. We're not going to turn anyone away. We're going to make sure that we um, are, are being as supportive as we can and, and meeting you where you are. That is that is great to know, and thank you. Um, one of the things that uh, I think we talked about in the pre-call, which, you know, God forbid nobody wants this to happen, but it does happen. You have a uh, Gold Star parent who lost a son or daughter in war, and you are working with that Gold Star uh, family, mom and dad, and then um, mom or dad passes away. Those things happen. Uh, what, what do you do in those type of instances? You know, once you are a member of the Tabs family, you, you're, you're not getting rid of us. You know, we're, we, we are well-connected and networked within the Tabs family, and so we look out for each other. And, you know, when you have a loss that brings you to us, you begin to build those relationships. And once those relationships are built, uh, we're there for the long haul. So if you have, if you have another loss, uh, we've had people who have had major, you know, health issues that they needed support around, um, that they were grieving loss of mobility or loss of health, uh, not just the loss of a loved one. So people reach out to us um, all the time. To share new things that have transpired, um, and that and that could be the loss of another loved one. In, in which case, we absolutely will come alongside and help in whatever way we can, and, and provide emotional support. And you know, if if for example, if you have a mother who lost a, a son in service, and we initially connect with you and are supporting you with another mother right? That mother-to-mother relationship was very important. Well, then you lose your husband several years later, and you come back to us. Well, then we'll connect you with someone who has lost a husband so that you can also have that deeper connection to understand those types of impacts. And to take it one step further, we would be looking to connect you with someone who lost a husband who also previously lost their son in service. So we look at all of those all of those fine details to try to find a person who has a relationship and an experience that is similar to yours so that you can hit the ground with rapport. You know, there's a there's a, a level of depth that you go into the relationship with that is incredibly foundational. And then you can build from build from that. So the roots of, of the Taps family go pretty deep because of that. Well, Audrey, I, I love what you said um, in reference to also, you know, reaching out to other nonprofit organizations that, you know, you guys are affiliated with, because in a in a nonprofit world and in the small space of, you know, veteran service organizations that we have, um, you know, it's important that we collectively and, and you know, get help for one another, because certainly one organization really isn't necessarily capable of doing all of the needs specifically you know with each situation that comes comes your way so i love that you said that in addition to um you you paying attention to the details and i think that is one of the most paramount things that i see with taps that makes you such an exceptional organization and um makes taps such an exceptional organization details are so important absolutely um, uh, you know, thank you for that. Sure. Um, well, moving into the next question, we know that you do obviously a lot of work with survivors, but one of the interesting things that came out of our pre-call conversation was that um, 
you, you and your staff focus on the power of gratitude. Sure. And I'd love for you to explain that. Absolutely. You know, it, it's funny, even even as we were talking about that or after we talked about that, I thought, um, I'm going to look up gratitude because I, I find it helpful to go back to definitions sometimes. That's kind of the, the English lover in me. But um, I was... I was actually surprised to find that gratitude is a noun, <laughs> that it's a that it's a thing, because in my mind, gratitude is a verb. Mm-hmm. It's it's something that you put into action. It's it's not just a thing you either have or you don't have. It's a conscious choice of something that you do. And I I personally have found that when I can have a moment of clarity and realize that hey I'm I'm I may be bending negative right now. Maybe I need to I need to kind of uh, refocus my brain on something positive. If I can be conscious in that moment, mindful, to take the time to consciously think of maybe three different things that I'm grateful for right now, or one person that I'm grateful for, that that has a a sudden and noticeable impact on my mood. And so, you know, when you look at research, uh, there's been a tremendous amount of research done on gratitude. Uh, what research has found is that it's gratitude's strongly uh, associated with greater happiness. It helps people feel more positive emotions. It helps them really appreciate and relish good experiences that they've had. I mean, it improves their, you know, mental and emotional health. It helps them deal with adversity and, and increases resilience and strengthens relationships. Um, that I mean, those are all positive things and and things that that wind up taking a hit. Uh, when we're grieving, you know, it's very, it's very difficult uh, to to lean into gratitude early on, and I want to acknowledge that um, when you're in the throes of grief, gratitude is the very last thing that you may be thinking about, and so I don't want to sound flippant about that whatsoever. But what we know is that when we apply uh, the the exercise of gratitude, something as simple as writing a letter uh, of thanks to someone, that over time that can actually have positive impacts on our brain, which helps us with things like, you know, impacting memory and decision-making and all of these things. So, in a way, and we can apply gratitude to to the past, you know, when we're being grateful for the, the time that we have with our loved one. And, and Bonnie says, you know, um, we're going to be grateful for the little while. It'll, it will never have been long enough, but but we're grateful for the little while. And even something as small as that uh, can help to change our attitude, and and our our trajectory of grief can be positively impacted when we stop and take the time to uh, exercise, you know, positive thoughts and things like that. So that that doesn't mean that the grief goes away, and certainly there are waves of grief. But you know, if you're down in the trough of grief, and you can be mindful uh, to to take a moment of gratitude that can be a tool that you use to help kind of bring yourself up from the other side on the other side and 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 have an upward swing that kind of gets you out of that of that grief pit mm-hmm. so it's just it's one of the many tools that we use uh, to help people um, you know just cope right well it's it's what you spoke about earlier too is is finding that balance right um, that that really helps. Um, right. And gratitude can certainly lean into that and and help you help help a person. So um, it's very important. Um, well, going into um, 
some of the opportunities that TAPS actually offers. You know, we've talked a lot about widowers and widows, and um, I don't want to exclude um, children because certainly we have a lot of children um, out there in our listening audience that who that have lost a parent. And I would love for you to talk about some of the camps that you actually offer for, for children. Yeah, absolutely. You know, uh, we, uh, if, if you go to taps.org slash youth programs, there's a tremendous amount of information there. And, and especially in this time of COVID where we've had to pivot and do things in a virtual way because we're not able to physically come together like we, like we, previously could um, we're still doing those things both online and, and preparing for 2021 for in-person events so for example uh, february will be uh, for the southern regional seminar will be in dallas texas and we anticipate bringing together you know possibly 120 or so kids uh, you know if, if things are safe at that time and we can do it um, then we'll bring kids together and and do the appropriate physical distancing etc but we bring our kids together for uh, for our good grief camps, and they are able to spend a whole weekend connecting with their peers, uh, which is important because sometimes, you know, you you might be the only kid in your school that you know who has had a loss. You don't you don't know that someone else in your in your class maybe has has lost a sibling or or has lost a parent. And so being able to identify peers with our kids is just as important as us identifying peers. They need to be able to have someone to relate to in that loss as well. So, you know, having having that peer-based group coming together and then also through that weekend being connected to a member of the military as a military mentor. That's a buddy that you'll have through the whole weekend who can do all the activities with you, um, have all the fun with you, have all the raw moments uh, with you, and, and is a connection back to the military, which very frequently is a severed connection. Um, after, the, after the loved one dies, um, you know, families very frequently move away from where the base is located if they're an active duty family, um, and they wind up maybe moving back to where they had other family, and maybe there's not a military installation there. So there's some disconnect very frequently with that branch of the military. So having that opportunity also to to see a little bit, if it's your dad, see a little bit of your dad and the person um, that you're mentoring, that they also wear the uniform and you're learning about the service and learning about honor and courage and commitment and, and the things that your 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 dad or your mom uh, were committed to. Um, it's just, it's incredibly powerful. Um, so that's those are the the good grief camps. But we also have summer camps that we, uh, family camps that we're connecting kids with. And so, you know, the parent or the guardian and, and the children will come and we have uh, programming for the adults that runs concurrent with the kids and then the kids and the, and the guardian or the parent comes back together at the end of the day. Um, so there's a lot of family dynamics and family communication and engagement, uh, learning how, so in some cases, learning how to really engage around grief. Um, how to talk to your kids around grief. So it's not just the support that we're giving to the kids where there are mentors involved, but it's also simultaneously giving support to the parents so that they can understand what does it look like uh, for my 13-year-old to grieve? What should I expect? 
what should I look for that maybe um, might be a red flag for me that my child is really struggling? We help parents understand those those types of things as well. So the kids have activities. They have activities going online right now. We have a teen coffee house and a variety of other programs that you would see on our website uh, that the kids have and the families have access to. But there's also parenting chats where parents can come together and, and talk about some tough questions. You know, my child, um, my child has been grieving really heavily and now uh, now she's cutting. Uh, what do I do mm-hmm. about that? You know, what, how do I how do I recognize um, suicide risk with my teenager um, or, you know, even younger? So some really heavy-duty questions are unpackaged in those times um, where we're supporting both the kids and the parents. Fantastic. Well, I know yeah. for sure, Audrey, that many of our Gold Star families um, in the EOD community have benefited from those programs, and I can tell you that I've I've heard nothing but positive feedback from them, so thank you. Of course, it is our honor, truly. Audrey, I've got a couple quick questions for you. Uh, the first one is, is, how does someone connect with TAPS? And then once they connect with TAPS, um, how quickly is the intake process? What does that constitute of? Sure. Sure. Well, you know, connecting with TAPS is so, it's so super easy, really. Um, the, the hardest part is just overcoming your um, your anxiety or, or belief that maybe you're not going to be met with help. Uh, picking up the phone is actually incredibly hard when you're grieving. Um, that's only one way that you can reach us. Um, our helpline is 24-7. Um, anyone can reach out to us, um, and I can give you the number. I, I know that you'll put it uh, in the information for the podcast, too, but it's 202-588-8277. Um, and again, it's 24-7, so that's a really easy way, and, and you'll you'll connect with a person who is also a military loss survivor, um, and they'll, they'll learn some details from you, whatever you feel like you, you need to share. Um, gather some information and get you connected with the rest of our team uh, so that you can be among your peers. Um, if calling is something that doesn't feel comfortable at that moment, uh, you can go online uh, to our to our website. Again, there's uh, you can go to taps.org slash join taps. Uh, and there's a, a quick form there that you can fill out. And the moment you fill it out, it, it drops into a, a, an email box that is monitored and uh, someone will immediately pick it up and, uh, and reach out. Thank you. And could you repeat that telephone number one more time? Sure. It's 202-588-8277. Thank you. So of for course. those of you out there that are listening, if uh, you are grieving the loss of a loved one who served in the military, please reach out to TAPS. If you are already a family uh, member of TAPS and you haven't reached out to them in a long time and you could be struggling, please reach back out to them again. They are there waiting for you and they are there to help and they do a fantastic job. Mike, thank you so much. You know, we, we know that going into... Um, Going into the end of the year and the, the beginning of 2021 is going to be um, a challenging time for people, and we are absolutely on standby. Um, you know, we're we're not afraid to sit in the darkness, and and we do have hope that the light is at the end of the tunnel, and 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 we will hang with you until you find that light. Thank you, Audrey, and thank you so so much for sharing your your story and the work that you do for TAPS. Before we lead into some of the last questions here, I I just wanted to give you space 
to share maybe a piece of advice with people who are um, suffering with a loss. Maybe it's something new and maybe it's something that's happened 20 years ago. If there was one thing that you could actually say to them, what would it be? Don't do it alone. You know, any anything that we do, and if, and if there's anything that we've learned um, in 2020, it's that isolation uh, challenges people. It's, it's difficult to, to be alone. It's difficult to do things alone. And, you know, it, it, it requires sometimes overcoming fear. It requires being vulnerable to be able to say some things out loud um, and to be able to trust that there's someone out there who actually would care enough to be able to to be with you in, in that moment, wherever that whatever that moment looks like, um, just don't do it alone. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it it complicates the process when you try to 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 go it go it on your own. If you can be surrounded by people who are helpful, limit your interaction with people who just frankly aren't helpful. Um, surround yourself with people who who get it and who are encouraging for you, who um, uplift you, who give you you know positive energy, and and who aren't trying to rush your process. Um, you don't have to. It's not something you're going to get over. You'll incorporate it into your life, and if you can relax that pressure that you put on yourself, um, and not surround yourself with people who put pressure on you, then you'll be able to to relax into the grief, which might sound kind of strange, but to relax into the grief and, and let it let it take you where it's going to take you. There, there's going to be an awful lot to learn along your road. and um, and it's all it's all important things to learn. Thank you. But you have Audrey. to take time. You're welcome. Yeah, taking the time. And is there one particular self-care tip that you would, you would shout out, you know, give a shout out to, or that has been effective for you, what would it be? Well, I, I, not to sound like I'm, I'm beating a drum, but um, getting sleep and <laughs> drinking water and moving, I mean, these are all health tips that are good for everybody, regardless of whether you're grieving, but mm-hmm. grief is a whole body workout. It, it is it's mental, it's emotional, physical, it's spiritual. It impacts every area of your life. And if you aren't starting by giving yourself the rest that you need, um, then you're starting at a deficit. Mm-hmm. And you know those who are not well rested begin to suffer in other ways. And so, you know, if you're struggling with your sleep, and and granted, I mean, I I had fitful sleep after my husband died, and I know so many people, even if even without a loss, they they struggle with uh, challenges like, you know, insomnia and and other sleep disorders. But uh, to the best of your ability, if you can get rest, drink water, get some exercise, even a even a ten minute walk, get out and soak up some of the vitamin D from the sun. All of those things are going to give you a stronger foundation to be able to do the hard physical work that grief is is going to require of you. And and I think that's one of the things that that surprises people a great deal is how physically exhausting grief is. It's hard. Uh, Whether you're crying or not uh, is irrelevant, although, you know, crying exhausts you too. Um, But it's really hard work. You know, the, the senior chief who was there for me was... Not just someone who could support me through my grief journey, but but this person actually saved my life. And, and this is one of the benefits of, 
of the TAPS family and, and, and surrounding yourself with people who really are observing what it is that you're going through, uh, who aren't keeping their distance. Um, you know, when I said earlier that I felt hopeless, that the, that the grief that I was experiencing, that the pain that I was feeling felt like a permanent condition, that that permanent condition um, felt so hopeless that I started contemplating uh, suicide. And at one point after I had read the uh, report of my husband's death, some of the things that, that I read were just so painful to hear, so painful to read that I, um, I started crying and I felt like I would never be able to stop. Mm. And that particular night, I attempted suicide and was interrupted by a person who was just coming to check on me, and another chief. The chief's mess really surrounded me with a lot of support. So someone from the chief's mess came and, and to check in on me and just kind of felt like something wasn't right. He didn't know me well enough to really know, but he felt something was off. And he reached out to my senior chief and said, I think you need to come and check on her. And it was only when he did that, he took the time, um, he, he, you know, later in the evening, um, left his home, left his own family to, to come and make sure I was okay. And he didn't leave until he got out of me that I had ingested, um, you know, a lot of, uh, prescription medication and, um, and over the counter medication. And had he not taken the time, had he not recognized some of the signs of what I was saying, um, and I look back on those now, and I think those were those were clear red flags. Um, you know, we don't always see them as clearly as as what I think I was giving off that evening. But he he finally did get out of, get out of me that I had done that and was able to call an ambulance and and got me the help that I needed before it was too late. Uh, but I think about him, and I think about the commitment that he made to make sure that I was okay. I uh, think about the other chief and the commitment that he made to to make that call that he felt like something wasn't quite right, and he just wanted to make sure. And that is one of the things that we do for each other. But you can't do that from a distance. You can't do that if you're not committed to the health and, and the, the welfare uh, of another person. And, and that's why I, I feel it's so incredibly important to surround yourself with people who you can feel comfortable to let them in and, and let them see what's really going on with you. Um, I'm, I'm grateful every day that he took that time. I'm grateful every day that I lived another day to be able to step into the future and, and do something meaningful with, with my loss and, and with my experience. And um, and I don't ever want to be uh, silenced. I don't ever silence myself, um, and and believe that it, me saying out loud that I attempted suicide should shame me into silence. So if there's someone else listening who is grieving to the point of of wanting to end it because they just don't see hope around the corner, I want to encourage that person that hope is there and there is help. You just have to reach out and be willing to be vulnerable enough um, to, to find the help. And, and that's one of the reasons that we're here. My life was saved. And, you know, hopefully the work that we do and each person who dedicates themselves to helping others, 
will be willing to educate themselves on the warning signs, on, on the risks of uh, suicide, and, um, and do something. Uh, do something with that knowledge and be there for others. Um, thank you, Audrey, again, sharing something that's so personal and so powerful. And I would also uh, like to add to that, too, that, uh, you know, those, those two uh, angels, your chiefs, um, they acted on their instincts as well. And sometimes uh, when, when you're having that instinct to, to reach out, you know, don't ignore that. Act on it. Yeah. You may be saving someone's life. Yeah. That's right. Thank you for letting me share that. Absolutely. Thank you, Audrey. Thank you so much. Well, right. y'all, um, I hope that this turns out to be the help that um, that someone needs, even if it even if it touches personally one person who can take a hopeful step toward the future. Then it's time well spent, and I appreciate your dedication to what you do and provide an opportunity, uh, not just for me, but others who would uh, would come on and share information that would really support the EOD community. So thank you for that. Thank you for allowing me to have this time with you and, and for believing that it could be helpful. Um, so I appreciate it. Yeah. And, and we do as well. And uh, we, I just kind of think of how this, this whole thing got started with trying to put on an event for spouses EOD tech spouses, um, and now it's uh, you know it's able to go out everywhere t- to not just EOD but military veterans and civilians, anybody who wants to listen. Families, there's, yeah. Yeah, there's just there's just so yeah. many great topics, and and speaking to the people that are that are providing these services and have these incredible experiences of of overcoming and moving forward in life and and still touching others. Um, we're, we're very, we're very blessed and proud to be able to do it, and we are very grateful to you, and to all all the folks that come on this podcast and, and share um, their expertise and their stories. Uh, because yeah, that's that's what it's about is getting that info out there and connecting that's with right. one another to help each other. That's right. Thank you, Audrey, um, for sharing all of this. I mean, I think. I think we could probably have several podcasts just diving into some of these areas and uh, so good to have you on and sharing all this stuff. And um, one of the things that uh, you talked about was gratitude. And uh, I think it's also good to talk about that you're allowed to have joy in your life. So speaking of joy, we're going to end this with a little segment we like to call What's Your Favorite? So we're going to start it off and ask you some questions. Uh, So the first one would be, what is your favorite movie or genre of movies? Oh my goodness. My my favorite genre of movies is anything with an inspirational message. I, I won't put one particular on it, but definitely an inspirational message. I love uh, facing the giants, uh, people overcoming challenges and, and rising above. Just it, it inspires me. Nice. And uh, during this pandemic, of course, everybody's had to learn some new things and find out some stuff about themselves. And what kind of fun thing have you learned about yourself? What activity did you uh, uh, do during the pandemic that you went, hey, this is pretty cool. I kind of like this. Oh, my word. What a what a great question. Um, I've done a lot of activities with my kids. Um you know, I, I, one of the things I learned is that when you are, when you're in a pandemic and, and work is also at home, you can, 
just work all the time and you have to kind of make yourself stop especially if you love what you do um, so I've I've learned that I have to I have to pace myself and and make a plan to to have specific time with my kids so you know activities building things uh, just having having little spurts of, of you know fun and relaxation with the kids so speaking of fun and relaxation what was your favorite vacation spot Oh my word! There, there are so many, um, and and now I now I can't remember what I was thinking of exactly, but um, I I loved Kazakhstan. I just really loved Kazakhstan, and again, that kind of goes back to seeing um, seeing people overcoming obstacles and and learning about others and gaining perspectives. Um, and and maybe I'm a little bit strange in that, but I I love learning about other people. And, and I'm very curious. I have a lot of, I, I, I like to think of as compassionate curiosity for the challenges that people go through. So uh, that was probably among my favorite places. Yeah, I, I saw, uh, Kak, I can't even say it, Kazakhstan. I saw it on the Amazing Race and uh, they had to do stuff and they had to put a yurk together. I thought that was, that was great and kind of cool. Maybe, yeah, maybe that'd hanging be out fun. in a yurk would be fun. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. All right. Just two more. Um, how about your favorite food, Audrey? Well, that's also a hard one, but I am from Texas, so I, I might need to say Mexican, mm-hmm. um, but I, I'm going to be a little bit of a traitor and say probably Afghan food, mm-hmm. uh, which is incredibly flavorful if you've never tried it, um, or Ethiopian food, hmm. um, in, in part because the flavors are amazing. But, you know, uh, as Americans, unless we're eating a burger or pizza, we don't often get to eat with our hands, and, and they... <laughs> They do that a lot with Ethiopian food, right. so it's fun to sit around a communal table and, and take part. That's so th- cool. those are probably my two favorites. Yeah, that's super cool. Um, I think the, the use of spices is just so much more prevalent, um, and uh, you can actually taste the food. You know, I mean, there's there's such an important role that the actual spices play in that. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And and we do that and we do that just a quick tangent in my family from the time my kids were really little, I would my spice rack was on the counter and I would be making I don't know chicken we'll say and I would put one of the kids up on the counter and just spin the spice rack and let them pull off just anything they they wanted to and mm-hmm. we'd smell it and they would say yeah I want to put this one in or I don't want to put that one in and <laughs> and that's the spice we would go with so we like to explore a little bit and yes. and I agree it's it's the spice of food the f- spice of food is also a little bit of the spice of life it keeps things uh, not bland and boring right keeps it interesting that's right that's cool and then the final one what is your favorite season of the year fall Mm-hmm. It's absolutely fall. It's it's especially being from Texas because the summers can sometimes get so harsh. Mm-hmm. Going into the fall feels like such a breath of fresh air and and a, and a relief from from the heat. So, no no question, you know, yeah. bundling up, finally getting to wear a jacket, escaping from the heat, mm-hmm. falls it. Yeah, it's a beautiful time of the year. I think we all get mm-hmm. a sense of relief when when. Uh, you know, the cooler temperatures come into town, it feels really good. And, you know, sometimes having that change of season throughout the year also kind of has like a new beginning almost, you know, once once the temperature changes. So that's great. You know, I can I say I grew up in Maine. Mm -hmm. Um, I moved to Maine when I was 12. And, um, and I'd never seen that type of uh, season change, Mm -hmm. you know, that that 
going into the fall where the leaves are changing colors and that renewal. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember there's one particular tree that uh, was on my way to school and when it would change in the fall and it was huge, it had such a huge uh, crown to it. Um, beautiful and it would just turn fire red it was the most beautiful thing that i had ever seen um and it always helped me to kind of revisit just concepts of change and mm-hmm. to contemplate change so I, I i think the fall especially in in new england is beautiful yeah i think so too i mean i my husband and i have always said well let's go um somewhere else because we're in the panhandle of florida and he always wants to go somewhere you know during the the winter season or fall season to really embrace the season change and what it looks like other places because um, even in the panhandle we do have a bit of a season change like for instance today the temperature when I woke up this morning was like 39 degrees which is quite cold here Um, but we're not going to get any snow (laughs) you know know. it's it's like well darn you know but um, yeah. Uh, Sherry, my kid, my kids grieve that that we don't have snow in Texas. Uh-huh. It just absolutely uh, in our family we say that cranks them out. Is how my kids say it. <laughs> uh, they they are they get very cranky about not having snow. <laughs> right, right. Well, Texas is an awesome state too. My husband is from Texas, and um, we we love it there as well when we come to visit. And um, so every every place has its uniqueness, and um, it's it's cool to to experience other places. Places, um, either on vacation or places that we've lived before. Um, it's always been fun. Sure. Yeah. Well, Audrey, thank you again. Um, Mike and I are so appreciative of your time uh, today in, in talking about your role with TAPS, um, your personal journey, and just what a great organization that TAPS is. And I know that our our EOD families have benefited um, from your organization. And I certainly hope that the listeners out there um, will will partake and and touch base with you guys again and again, and and also realize that you're there for life, um, which is, um, it's, it's so important. And we just you know, are, are thrilled to have you on and, and thank you so very much for your time. Well, thank you so much, both of you. It, it's been an incredible opportunity to share, um, not just about my, my personal journey, but about this organization that I, I, I just, I see it saving lives and, mm-hmm. um, and an incredible source of, of support and hope for, for families. And thank you for highlighting that uh, and allowing people to learn more. So I really appreciate you. Yeah, we um we are delighted and um we appreciate your passion. I I know that Taps has a very small staff and your reach is very very broad. Um you guys do phenomenal work and we're just happy to connect with you and also have you as a resource when we have a family in need. Thank you so much. Audrey, thank you again. We really enjoyed having you and uh I know that this podcast is going to be an absolute wealth of knowledge, information, and wisdom for our listeners. So thank you for sharing that. Of course. Well, you know, obviously in in the future, if there's any opportunity for us to connect and if there's any way that I can be helpful as, um, you know, you're connecting further with the EOD community or others, I am always a phone call or an email or a text away. So... I, I wish you both a beautiful holiday season. Hope it's exactly what you need it to be and that you're refreshed and rejuvenated come January 1st. Um, 
and I look forward to connecting with you again in the future. Thank you, Audrey, and likewise. Yeah, absolutely. This is a reciprocal relationship for sure. So we we wish you and your family the very best as well. Fantastic. Thanks so much. Thank you for listening to our Behind the Warrior podcast. This series is provided to you by the EOD Warrior Foundation. To learn more, please visit us on Facebook or at eodwarriorfoundation.org. And don't forget to tell a friend.